and we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 129, uh, coming at you this Saturday morning. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC. And since we do this show as a call-in, those numbers for you to dial are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. So anything pressing on your mind this week, MC? Um, Well, I'm doing great, but uh, I guess people in Texas and... Puerto Rico and maybe Florida are, are not doing so great because of the hurricanes. So um, good luck to, to all you out there. And uh, I don't know, maybe they should have named it Trump instead of Irma. And then we could, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to make it political. but <laughs> Well, because you have to this on. week. Like th- this week, it's all about it's all about the, the weather. So the, the like your news feed was as sparse as mine, I guess, as far as. Uh, what's going on in the political realm. And I do have some show prep. Um, on. Do I have show prep on both? Hold on one second. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, so last week um, I, I had some show prep ready to go because the, the weather was still a problem then. And one of the big issues that arise whenever, uh, whenever natural disasters hit is, you know, the, the theory and ideas and, you know, political realm of price gouging um so i didn't i didn't pull any articles up this week on price gouging itself because i had the the show prep from last week Uh, but that that's always that's always the political issue that comes to the forefront is you know how do you avoid shortages uh in natural disasters and make sure that everyone has access uh to to emergency supplies uh you raise the price and I say access because that still doesn't mean that everyone can afford it. Uh, but what it does mean is that the people who get there first in line may think twice uh, about loading up their carts with every last bottle of water uh, and every last you know camping stove um, because it's all of a sudden cheap, uh, and it allows them to like you know to to decide wh- how much they really need uh, in this emergency and then leave some on the shelves for other people. Um, and, and so somebody countered one of my arguments to that and I, I have to bring it up right now so the, Please the argument is that well what you know if if the i'm sorry wow my brain is not awake yet <laughs> <laughs> hey it was your idea um, to do the show this early man we were set at noon for so long and i was fine sleeping in too I'm just but then i would just it. sleep until noon <laughs> um, <laughs> such is life um so Price gouging and an argument if, your friend if, made. Uh, if if the prices are are low, then the you know just ordinary people are going to buy every single last bottle. But if the prices are high, then only the rich can buy them. Right? That was the argument. Only the rich can buy it if the prices are high, and and that's bullshit. But okay, because here's the thing. The rich person, sure, they will be able to afford the high-priced water. But if he's rich, he's going to be able to buy all of the high-priced water or all of the low-priced water. So the rich person is going to get what they want anyway. That's what rich people are. That's Rich people get what they want because they have a lot of money, and it just works better that way. Um, everybody else, the, the, the majority of the people... Um, are the ones setting the prices for things that everybody needs. So a rich person isn't going to go there and buy all the water. And if they were, and if and if they want to, they can anyway, because they're rich. So, I mean, unless unless they make the bottles ten thousand dollars a bottle, which is it doesn't happen. You know, <laughs> I mean, maybe in extreme situation it it could, but it doesn't. You know. <laughs> Right. They'll sell. They'll, they'll put the bottles at you know, let's say astronomical high value, like two hundred dollars per case or something like that. You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you I'm, I'm listening. And then, yeah. And then, and then, and then they're gonna sell out at two hundred dollars per case, and they're just not gonna have any more. They're not gonna get down to the last bottle and be like, well, this one's ten thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, someone's just gonna buy them out when it's still cheap, 
we're right. not going to have I, anymore. <laughs> I think part of the economic argument that people miss is it, it's not that, sorry, it's not that the store uh, itself has like carte blanche to set the price, right? It's not like they could sell, you know, a, a bottle of water for $10,000 um, because that's also not how the economics of it works, right? It's that... Uh, yeah. The, it's, well, it's, if, it's, if you it's, go to Vegas, if you go to Vegas, you might buy buy a bottle of, of water for fifteen or twenty bucks, you know, at a at a fancy restaurant. But but that's that's not the norm. I mean, you you don't usually pay that much unless you like you know wasting money. I mean, and so <laughs> most people don't. Most people don't pay for that. You know, you don't. That's a choice to overpay for something, and. In in a in an area where there's less water, um, then that choice becomes more reasonable. So it's just it's it's all about reason. So be reasonable, people. <laughs> yes, and and part of the point that I was I was getting to is is the the, the market finds an equilibrium somewhere, right? Now, if this if the store decides to like put a price tag on the bottle of waters for ten thousand dollars, right? They may sell one. Right, they might. They might. who knows who's willing to pay that much for a bottle of water in an emergency, and the store could then go, "Man, we just covered all of our costs, right?" But if we want to sell a second bottle of water, uh, it may be prudent to lower the price a little bit, maybe to five thousand dollars, right? Who knows? I'm just you. Know, you see what I'm getting at, right? Uh, the 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 goal. How do I phrase this? The ideal goal for the store. Or, or anyone holding inventory, right, is to sell all but one, right? Like that's that's fundamentally the goal. You want you want to sell out your entire inventory and have like one left over, basically. Um, and the reason and the reason for that is because if you have the one left over, it's it's minimal storage cost for like you know warehousing and storage and, and inventory. But it also means you've sold like the maximum number of items you possibly could. Uh, and when the when the stores you know have have the regular price on the on the emergency supplies, right? They're going to sell out, but it's it's twofold, right? They're going to sell out, which means they won't have any inventory left, which means they could have sold more or they could have gotten more for what they sold, uh, and in doing so, they maximize their profits, but also keep inventory available uh, for for those in need. Um, now, now what you're saying, MC, is you know a rich person will buy it all up, uh, or at least that's what your friend's argument was, or that a, a, uh, it would be priced out of the range of the average Joe poor guy. Um, and for the most part, that's not true, and that's not actually what happens. Even though, in his mind, it's possible, right, that a store could gouge the prices to extreme levels uh, and not sell anything. Which is foolishness. Like that, no store would do that if they want to stay in business, uh, you know, at all. Um, and the rich person, even though he has excess wealth, right, still makes a cost-benefit decision uh, at the time of purchase, right? Like, how much water does he actually need to make it through the storm? And knowing that he's wealthy, what is the likelihood that he'll be able to access more water uh, later, right? And if the storm hits and wipes everything out and there's like one guy left with one case of water left on the planet, right, maybe the rich guy would have to like pay a little bit extra uh, to that guy because all of a sudden he's like, you know, the king with all the gold uh, and gold is in this case being the water. Um, but that event is so unlikely that it, it's extremely improbable that the rich person would buy all the water or buy excess water. Um, to the extreme that regular people do uh, when the price doesn't go up uh, along with, you know, in, in the wake of of a natural disaster or a storm in this case or a hurricane. So it's, it's, it's silly to say that, you know, only rich people will be able to buy emergency supplies. No, because, you know, most, most people, you know, spend money on other things anyway. It's not like the poor person doesn't have money for a bottle of water. Right, it's that they may have to divert their spendings from other non-essentials uh, into emergency supplies. In this case, um, and I think most people are are comfortable with that. Right, I, 
I don't know what your regular expenses are, yeah, MC. If if they raise the price of water, then they won't be able to afford the next iPhone. So definitely, we have to make a law that says they can't raise the price of water in an emergency. I mean, and come on, September twelfth is right around the corner. Yes, and that's what I'm saying. That's exactly my point, right? It's it's not that they can't afford the water. It's that in in the in 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 a non-emergency situation, right? The preference for water is so much lower uh, in the individual's mind than something like new electronics, right? Uh, or Bitcoin, right? All of a sudden, right? You you may have to defer your Bitcoin purchase or your electronics purchase. Uh, you know, or, or, you know, a movie ticket or whatever in order to survive the storm. Uh, and that would be a wise economics choice to make, right? So you go, well, maybe we're not going to eat filet this week, kids. Uh, but look at all this water we got to make sure that we can survive this thing. You know, so I don't, I don't think there are people going without um, or that I don't think that there would be many people going without uh, and I think one thing that uh, a lot of the news footage from the storm shows is that uh, people rally together to help each other out. Um, so in the case that someone is like so poor, right, like their social security check just is in the mail and the storm hits and they got to evacuate. And oh, my God, who's going to take care of them? I'm sure there's a good Samaritan out there uh, willing to give them a sip, uh, you know, from from the, the, the cup from which they drink. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's the good nature of people along with the pricing mechanism that allows for this to happen, right? Or you get the, you get, you know, the, the middle-class Joe, uh, filling up the cart with every single camping supply they can. And then hopefully if they're lucky, right, you know, uh, black marketing that stuff, cause I'm okay with secondary markets as well, right? If, if the stores aren't allowed to gouge there, right. And you're willing to take the risk to gouge, you know, on the secondary market, uh, please, by all means, buy up everything they have and, and take advantage of the situation as best you can. Uh, but it's 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 so silly to say that there should be a law uh, preventing the price mechanism from being effective uh, and making sure that there's an, enough to go around for everybody, um, you know, without it. Any more thoughts, MC? Uh, no, that's that's pretty much it. Um yeah, and and I just want to say, you know, really, I I don't even know how how bad the damage is or or how much help people are going to need there, but um, yeah, good good luck, Texas and Florida and everywhere else. Yeah, well, well, Texas got the, you know, I think Texas was on the map um, recently, and then now Florida is about to get nailed. Like I've been I've been watching the storm tracker, uh, you know, just checking my phone every once in a while, and it's you know, set to hit either this weekend or, or very soon like it, it's wiped out much of the uh the caribbean area <laughs> no no one really it's well, a funny puerto, puerto rico ahead. puerto rico doesn't even have power yeah like the whole island doesn't have power <laughs> yeah but i i just well, think it's unless they have generators so the airport's still up they have generators i guess the government still has power the state is still <laughs> in power i was gonna say i just think it's funny that you know we watch like uh american news um, and everyone's worried about Florida. <laughs> and there's a little blip going down like the bottom of the screen. It tells you about like Cuba, the Dominican, and Puerto Rico. <laughs> okay. The only thing anyone cares about is how bad Florida is going to get hit. Uh, completely ignoring the fact that you know, like you said, the, the Puerto Rico is already done for for the for for the time being, right? Like they'll settle in and they'll 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 be back on track uh, soon enough. But it's 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 a terrible situation, and I'm. I'm laughing because it's kind of funny with what the what the media does, um, but at the same time, you know, I've I've had uh, Puerto Rican friends and Dominican friends uh, in the past, and it would suck to be them right now if they're back home. Now I will read through the headlines, and then because of what we're talking about, I think there's one that we can launch into first. So, uh, so good news, it's it's currently uh, category three hurricane and it could snap back to category four so it's somewhere in between three and four which is weaker than they anticipated yeah for 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 those not paying attention weaker than anticipated everyone was worried about like the worst category five there was uh, that's one of the other things that they were blowing out of proportion right they're like 
if there was something higher than a Category 5, this would be it. <laughs> like, this is literally a Category 6 hurricane, but we can't call it that because there's no such thing. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Even even when dealing with the weather uh, from, some, uh, from some media outlets. All right. Headlines. How the feds blocked effective flood insurance. Headline. Cleaning hats in Detroit still requires a license. Headline. Husband gets human trafficking charge for driving his wife to a motel. Headline. Uh, Virgin Islands allows National Guard to seize guns, ammo ahead of Hurricane Irma. Uh, headline, eye doctors don't like seeing alternatives. Headline, 87-year-old grandma sentenced to prison for saying Auschwitz was just a labor camp. And finally, headline, uh, the liberal spirit and its opposite, alt-right-ism. Uh, since we're still talking about the weather, um, how about we start with uh, how the feds blocked effective flood insurance? All right, reading into the article. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just, just checking, just making sure. If you want to start someplace else, you just jump right in. Uh, as the floodwaters brought by Hurricane Harvey last week recede, and new Hurricane Irma moves slowly towards the eastern U.S., it might be edifying to review how millions of Americans, despite federal anti-flood efforts, came to live and work in hazardous to dangerous flood-prone areas. The foundation of the current disaster traces back at least to the late 1920s under Republican interventionist Herbert Hoover. In 1927, a very destructive flood occurred along the Mississippi River. Secretary of Commerce Hoover's relief campaign greatly increased the power of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to implement supposed flood protection. Uh, no doubt the Flood Control Act of 1928 helped construct what is considered one of the most impressive system of levees in the world along the Mississippi River. However, the one thing it did not do was control flooding. While the new levee system prevented flooding in some areas, it quickened the natural current of the river, which helped produce flooding in other areas. Other unforeseen consequences were the reductions in natural soil deposits and natural flow of water into the river's floodplains. Less than a decade later, another damaging flood in New England helped drive the passage of the National Flood Control Act of 1936. This act was a real turning point in terms of centralization. Besides doubling the size of the federal flood control program, it signaled that Congress would no longer merely provide occasional flood relief and regard floods as principally a local matter. It effectively enlisted the federal government and Army Corps of Engineers in the battle against floods. For the rest of the 1930s and 40s, private insurance markets were undermined because the Army Corps of Engineers built 100-year flood walls, which reduced risk just enough for homeowners to make private flood insurance too costly. On the other hand, private insurers saw these walls as insufficient protection, which did not reduce risk enough. Regardless, an impasse was created for private markets that was both figuratively and literally cemented in place by the Army Corps. Enter the New Deal Central Planners of the Tennessee Valley Authority, TVA, in 1953. The TVA began monitoring flood-prone areas in and around 150 towns and cities in its jurisdiction. At first, TVA used a worst-case standard from the Army Corps regardless of whether such a flood had ever actually occurred. This stringent standard was quickly abandoned when it was realized that it would eliminate huge areas of potential development that not only local, private, and public planners wanted, but TVA as well since part of its conflicted mission was spurring development. Thus, TVA adopted a new standard skewed in favor of development that was based on past floods that occurred inside the 60 or 100 mile zone from proposed development. Outside TVA's jurisdiction, the U.S. Geological Survey and Army Corps of Engineers mapped floodplains with a roughly the same backwards-looking standard. By the end of the 1960s, all three agencies had laid the groundwork for a national map of floodplains. A very bad standard had been created. Of course, no tapestry of disastrous policies would be complete without the contributions of Lyndon Baines Johnson. Thus, the Southeast Hurricane Disaster Relief Act of 1965, uh, this act authorized $500 million in spending to assist in repairing damage created by Hurricane Betsy. Next came the National Flood Insurance Act of 1968, which created the National Flood Insurance Program, which covered up to $250,000 in damage to single-family houses and buildings in cities and towns, meeting the flawed federal floodplain criteria. The absolute death knell for any semblance of economic and actuary soundness in the NFIP came in 1973, 
when Congress allowed the coverage to be extended to property owners who should have enrolled in the program and paid for insurance, but did not. Uh, while none of this is to say the more rigorous private standards prevailed and the Army Corps and TVA never been created, that no one's residence or workplace would ever have flooded. However, there's no doubt that the federal government's perverse subsidization of residential and commercial development in flood-prone areas, as well as artificially cheap flood insurance completely detached from risk assessment, have contributed to not only the untold loss of billions of property, uh, but lives as well. Uh, your thoughts, MC, on the government? always interfering in everything, in this case, the weather. Hmm. So, I don't even have to buy insurance and somebody will fix my house and I can bl build my, my house in a, an area called a floodplain and and that's all cool? Like, it's just weird, you know? <laughs> okay, it, it, it is weird and I, on, on principle, I completely disagree with it. Um, but at the same time, I've also completely take advantage of a similar situation. <laughs> so it's one of those things where, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, pe people are incentivized to do dumb things. Um, and when they take advantage of a bailout, who's to blame them? You know, and, and I, I totally get like, if, if you, I've said this before, um, my situation is 100% hypocritical, uh, to to you know the the principles and ideas that we talk about on the show and in real life, uh, but at the same time, like there was nothing else that could have been done, um, and therefore, you can call me a hypocrite. Uh, and what I'm referring to, if you don't know, um, like for for those longtime listeners, uh, I was in an accident uh, a few years ago and and broke my leg, um, and while I was like. In the hospital, like, you know, about to get, after I got my leg repaired, they said, oh, by the way, do you have insurance? And I went, no, nope, don't have it. They went, oh, sign these forms and we'll get it retroactively, <laughs> re retroactively applied for you. I went, fucking great. Like, perfect, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now I'm in a situation, right, for me personally, like, why would I ever buy insurance, um, Knowing that, you know, me, why would I buy medical insurance and pay for it, you know, when, when knowingly I can get it after the fact in an emergency? Um, and that being said, like, I work uh, a, a, a number of different, like, part-time jobs, um, none of which qualifies me for, like, uh, employer-based insurance. And so, they, you know, they always say, like, okay, if you want to sign up for the insurance... It's going to cost you basically like your entire month's pay just to get your medical coverage. And I went, yeah, I probably don't need it then. You know, like if, if I'm, if I'm showing up for work just to pay for medical coverage, you know, I screw it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want to pay for it. I don't need it. And knowing this, I have still never given up, uh, my Obamacare mostly because it's a pain in the ass to do. And as long as until they cancel me, I'm just going to ride it out. Um, so I totally understand, you know, I, am totally in a situation and I totally recognize, uh, you know, the, the perverse incentives, um, of, of government mandated programs. Um, but I'm also okay taking care of, you know, taking advantage of it as well. And again, call me hypocrite if you want to. So in this case, back to the article, right? Um, uh, the, 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 all the laws and all the acts passed, right? Just create a terrible scenario, um, and it wasn't there like, didn't, didn't they talk about this exact same thing, uh, when hurricane Katrina hit like New Orleans, right? It was, it was all like, well, the levees busted and everything flooded and people should have known not to live in a flood zone, but they, everything was cheap and free. So of course they did. And then, you know, and then what, right? Um, I know, I know, uh, a few years ago, uh, my son lives on the big Island and at one point, you know, that if, for those that don't know, you know, we, we do the show from Hawaii um, and there's multiple islands and he lives on a different one than me. Um, and that particular island that he lives on has like active volcanoes. Um, and at one point in time, like one of those volcanoes was like threatening to like melt an entire town uh, and his school along with it. And I was like, thumbs up. Good. Get out of school while you can. Um, but <laughs> but who would be? Who, who in their right mind, right, 
you know, w- without perverse incentives. And I think there was an article or something uh, along the same. I don't remember a hundred percent, but it's basically the same situation where they were incentivized to build uh, in that area through subsidies, right? Knowing full well that it was going to be taken care of in the event. Uh, that the volcano erupted and whoosh, lava blew down the mountain uh, and wiped out the entire town. And I went, well, of course they built there then because, you know, they're getting the word. They're getting they're getting their state guarantee uh, that there's nothing to worry about. Um, but same thing, right? The, the lava flows, the town is threatened, everyone's got to evacuate. And, and I don't remember what happened, but it was something like it wasn't necessarily. I forget what he told me. I think it was like not necessarily that the, the lava flow was going to wipe out the town necessarily, but a lot of the, they had to evacuate anyway um, because of the heat and fumes coming off of the, like the sulfur burning and all that stuff. So it just, it just puts people in like a, it, it puts people in harm's way. Um, and it, like the bottom of the article says, sometimes it's not just the property that gets lost. Um, but if you're in harm's way and you're unable to evacuate or something strikes uh, where you, you, it catches you off guard somehow, right? Um, and you just, and, and lives are lost. Right. So part of part of me goes, you know, well, you're ta- you know where you're living. Right. You know what the risks are. And that's up to you to do. Um, but at the same time, if you just if the market was deciding these things, uh, it would probably be a lot more expensive to live in these areas, um, maybe prohibitively. Right. Like not every acre of land needs to be occupied. Uh, and, if, and if the market incentives, in, you know, uh, move people in the direction towards safety uh, and, and away from, you know, disaster, uh, that's probably a good thing. We should probably let that take care of it instead of the state stepping in going, no, 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 we got to help these people. MC? Um, yeah, people should uh, take care of themselves, but obviously. But <laughs> uh I don't know. It's it's there's a whole bunch of different perspectives to look at because like for example, we live on an island and we we could be hit by a hurricane or something. And, and we have uh, been in the past. And uh but most people don't think about it or worry about it or prepare for it in in the least bit. So um I don't know if that's just a human condition or 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 whatever, but um I will say there, this, there at least on this island. Insurance people can insurance people can buy, there's and there's ways to prepare for natural disasters, there's ways to, you know, build better houses, but for the most part like that the houses are pretty cheaply built here on Hawaii and but a lot of them a lot of the houses have been up for like, you know, 70, 80 years, so And they're still expensive. I don't know what the Yeah, and I don't know what what the real risk is because it seems like the the risk is pretty low i mean if you go by you know you got these cheap houses here and they've been standing the whole time so uh as long as you don't live in an area where it's going to get flooded i think it's pretty pretty safe and i will i will say this Knock on ha- wood have, having having <laughs> lived here having lived here most of my life like i went away to school and then i came back um at, at least in my experience, and I, I would assume this is a shared experience amongst others, it's been so long since it's been a problem that no one considers it to be a real problem anymore. Like the last hurricane uh, to hit this particular island was in like 1981, <laughs> right? Like 35 years ago, right? Like it, it hit while I was in the womb. And that's the only story I know about it. And the last, uh, the last hurricane to hit the state uh, was in 1992, I think. And that one only wiped out like uh, one of the islands, like Kauai. Every every place, like I remember, I, I we we you know bunkered down and taped up windows and boarded up shelters. And then when they realized it wasn't going to like actually hit us, my dad went, "Go take out the garbage." <laughs> And that was kind of eerie because I went outside and I was literally like the only one on the street. And like no cars, no pedestrians, just me going, wow, this is the middle of a hurricane. But anyway, so, you know, so, so it's, it's not a rare, it's not a frequent occurrence enough where 
like Florida, where like every hurricane season, everyone's like on edge, right? Like it's hurricane season, we might get hit again. Like every other year or every year, just about feels like Florida's being threatened by something. Um, and Hawaii just is in, it's in a miracle position for whatever reason in recent memory where even the threats go like, go by the wayside, right? It's like, oh yeah, it's, it's coming. But by the time it gets here, it's going to be nothing. It's going to be like a tropical storm and it might rain a little bit, you know? So I think a lot of that plays into the, into the fact that, you know, no one's, no one thinks it's a risk at this point because it hasn't been demonstrated to be a risk. Um, and even the tsunamis that we get threatened with, like, never hit, right? Like, I, the last one that actually hit um, that I remember, I was, like, in high school, and I was on vacation, and everyone else around me wasn't. So they, like, were excited to get the day off from school. But the tsunami hit. But it was, like, a one-foot tsunami. Like, it was a big-ass wave, but it was only one foot. Like, one foot high. So it, it did, like, zero damage, right? Like, it, I went, one foot, huh? And I was like, that's it? Um, you know, but you know, like tsunamis are like not just high, but wide. So it's a big ass wide one foot wave that came crashing in and did nothing. Um, so even, even those, right. When they go, you know, we got the, the air raid sirens, uh, that go off when, when there's like a natural disaster or a state of emergency or whatever. Uh, and, and everyone ignores it at this point, at least in, at least in my, in my realm. Like, even the last one that, like, threatened us, like, I, I, I was living near the beach at the time, like, two blocks from the coast, right? And I was like, oh, are you going to get the high ground? I'm like, no, man, I'm going to sleep. Like, you know, I'm, I am 100% confident that this is not going to be an issue, and therefore I'm not going to do anything different than I would normally do, you know? Uh, and I was right. Now, will my luck run out at some point? Maybe. Um, but I'm sure everyone, you know, there's a lot of people in a similar boat as me where, um, especially older people, right? If you're older than me and you actually had to go through, you know, this a few times already where you bunker down, you buy the water, you buy the emergency supplies, you tape up the windows, you shut out the lights, you got the candles all ready and lit, ready to go and nothing, right? Like at some point you go like, well, you know, the storm has cried wolf enough. Uh, I'm not going to bother with it. And I'm sure there's a lot more people than just me. Uh, with that mentality at this point in the game um so we talk about sure. like yeah so so when you say you know like ah oh, they don't they don't really even build the houses um to hurricane proof it is because i don't think even the developers at this point think it's a risk and there might be some perverse incentives in there along with the state right where they're getting uh i i well i know there's perverse incentives with the state um, because they get uh, subsidies in order to develop low-income, low-cost housing for people. Um, and the easiest way to do that and still make money is, number one, to get it from the state, but also to, to do it as cheaply uh, as possible uh, for those low-income people. Like, there's there's not a lot of um, architecturally designed private houses going up, uh, as far as I can tell, right now. It's all manufactured homes and manufactured communities uh, and condos being built in bulk, uh, that has, has, you know, done really nothing to, to bring down the, the price of housing, at least locally here. So, yeah, there, there's some incentives uh, in that aspect as well. Your thoughts? Uh, I don't know. Should we move on? We can. But uh, this this story, um, you know, we, we, we get to the beginning of the show, and like, well, what do you want to talk about? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, one thing that I will say... Um, about insurance in general. Like I know it's been uh, touted as, you know, the, the, the libertarian uh, solution for everything. I mean, what will we do in a society with no state? Uh, you just buy insurance for everything so that someone else has to pay for it if something goes wrong. Um, one of the, I'm, I'm going to go back to my accent. I don't remember what I'm allowed to talk about anymore because it's been so long um, that I'm just going to talk about whatever I want. Um, so I, I have an attorney uh, dealing with the civil side and the claims and whatever associated with the accident to, to try to get me paid um, because I've suffered. I've suffered, MC, uh, not just physically, but emotionally and financially as well. I've suffered and and they're going to they're going to take their cut and give me whatever's left over. Um, but the, the way that they've decided to do that is uh, by uh, filing a claim. 
through my sister's homeowner's insurance policy. Uh, because the guy that hit me um, is is broke, and there's no way to get, more than likely, no way to get any kind of money uh, out of him. Um, and he went through the, the criminal proceedings and pled no contest, and I don't even know what the sentence was because I don't care enough. Um, and so I never bothered to, sh- to show up and find out. Um, but so, but we still got this like settlement thing in the works, trying, you know, get me paid so I can buy some more Bitcoin. Um, but they, they wanted me to like fill out some forms and I dilly dallied on it. Um, and I finally got them filled out, but in the interim, right, because we filed the claim, uh, through my sister's homeowner's insurance policy, uh, they canceled her policy. (laughs) They went, Oh no, we just we don't want to serve your insurance homeowners insurance anymore. If you're going to be filing this claim, you know, uh, sorry, uh, you know, find another insurer. And to me, I go, well, that's 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 kind of fucked up, right? Like, you know, my, my first thought was, can they do that? Like, obviously they can't because they did, right? And then I was like, well, can they legally do that? And then I had to like think, well, even if they can't legally do that, there there's got to be some sort of you know, private recourse uh, against insurance companies like dumping clients the minute you file a claim. Like, that's their whole business model. And that's one of the reasons why I've said in the past um, that I'm not a big fan of insurance in general uh, because to me, the the business model for insurance companies is ass-backwards, right? The only way that insurance companies are profitable and can make money is when they don't provide the service Uh, they're contracted to provide like if they had to provide insurance claim services they would quickly be out of money and would cease to exist as a business right so the only way to stay profitable and to make their money is to not to not honor claims uh for 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 their clients um and to me i just go well that's stupid like that's you know business businesses should survive uh by providing goods and services to to you know uh to customers um, and insurance just doesn't do that. And this is just another illustration of that where they go like, oh, man, if we're going to have to pay out this claim, you're no longer going to be a client of ours. Um, seems like there should be some sort of some sort of private recourse or something in the initial contract that doesn't allow for that. Um, so, well, I don't know. I just have to say in your situation, if would it be acceptable for them to say, no, your your policy doesn't cover this, so you know it and, would, and then just drop it after that. They can they can totally deny the claim, but they haven't even done that yet. Like it's it hasn't it hasn't even been like decided upon whether or not this claim is going to be honored and how much of that is going to be paid out. It was just like because we filed, they canceled, um, and I told my sister, I'm like, are you? do you want to talk to the attorneys? <laughs> you know, like, so I, when I, when I sent the paperwork back, I sent them a little note that said, you know, to let them know what happened and to, you know, just to see if there's anything that can be done. Um, since they still have to deal with the insurance company for the claim that's already been filed, um, you know, uh, under a policy that's already, so, that has been paid up. So the insurance company might be thinking that this is not a valid claim and that to basically to prevent future invalid claims where they would have to hire lawyers and and you know pay a whole bunch of extra money to deal with the government it's easier to just shut off your service basically um and say go somewhere else um so i i mean i can which he did i can see why they why they would do that and and uh so i sort of agree with them um now if it was something like there was a storm and it knocked down the house and then you file the claim and then immediately after they go, oh, we're canceling your service because there was a storm. Um, I would say that would be fucked up. But Well, they that, did that in Katrina. Really Insurance companies did that in Katrina. They, they said, well, we don't, we don't have the paperwork. Can you provide paperwork uh, showing us your proof of policy? And then all the homeowners went, it got wiped out in the fucking storm, you assholes. And they went, well, sorry, we don't have it either. So if you can't provide it, you know, we're just not going to, we're not going to help you out yeah. here. So. Well, see, that's corrupt. <laughs> well, yes. And, and I, and, you know, I, part of me agrees with you, MC, right? But the reason we're filing this particular claim is because that's what the attorneys told us to do. 
right? They said, well, this is the way to go about the settlement is, you know, these, these are the, uh, the people we talk to, the people we file with and, you know, what kind of car insurance do you guys have? What kind of homeowner's insurance do you guys have? What kind of medical insurance do you guys have? What kind of, what does the other guy have? Right. There's like, there's all these, uh, these, uh, scenarios of, of where a claim can be legitimately filed given my situation and circumstance. Right. And this is the one that the attorney settled on. Right. And if it, and if yeah. the and if the insurance company is saying, well, no, that's not valid or or wrong, right? Sh- they should at least first deny the claim, right, with with valid reason, and then cut off coverage um, if they feel like it. But they haven't even they haven't even done that. And to top it off, the well, form I, I think it, I think most likely is because the government's involved and and so they're basically building their case before they deny you or or you know what or pay either one um so they're they're trying to figure out what kind of hot water they're in because you filed a claim so yeah but i mean the government dragging it dragging it out real long is maybe in their benefit i don't know (laughs) okay i don't i i don't know how the government is necessarily involved right like i have private attorneys who are going to get a cut if you're talking about like if if they if they deny you, then then the next step is your attorney is going to get involved and, and take them to oh, court. Oh, to appeal. Say, you know, yeah, yeah, okay. I could see that. But we're not even at that stage yet. Like, it's it's been almost two years, and we're and, not even at th- that stage yet. And they don't want to be at that stage, and they're you know, probably just going to wait till you die. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but, I, but, but the other thing I was going to say is um, – oh, what was I going to say? Oh, they, they – they, they, yes, we're not even at that stage yet. Um, and the, what the, the forms that they, they asked us to fill out, right. My sister goes like, I already did this. I did this months ago. I did this a long, long time ago. Why are we doing this again? I was like, I don't know, man, if you guys did it, like, you know, I don't, I, I pay so little attention to these things because I have so much other things on my plate. That's, you know, shouldn't be more important, but is, um, that I go, <laughs> well, so I just, I just put in a note with it too. That said like, Hey, we already filled this out. Why are we doing this again? People. Like, you know, someone's got to get their shit together and it's not us. Um, and I, you know, so I asked her like what she's going to do and she's like, Oh no, I just signed up with another, a competing, uh, insurance organization. Right. And I go, okay, that's fine. Like that's your prerogative, but it's still to me, it seems wrong, you know, that, that you, as, as the insurance company, right. You have to know, um, that people are going to file claims that will eventually get denied. That's why you review them. It's not like everything gets denied or everything gets approved, right? It goes through yeah. the review process. And this hasn't even met that criteria yet. Um, and they're already canceling service, which again is their prerogative, but shouldn't be like, there's, there's gotta be something, you know, in, 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 in the contract, or at least there should be when dealing with an insurance company that they're not allowed, you know, that they're not contractually allowed without penalty, uh, to cancel your service. If you're in good standing, uh, for filing a legitimate claim, um, even if that claim hasn't been decided yet, right? Like the, you know, the, 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 the claim is filed based on the attorney's advice. Um, and they're the ones handling it. So, you know, as the insurance company, I don't know, like this at least has the potential to be legit. Cause it's not just some asshole off the street, uh, filling out the forms, right? It's a reputable, uh, it's a reputable law firm filing on behalf of a paying client. Um, you know, that there might be some teeth to this and you may want to consider that, uh, before acting like a dumbass. So yeah, I've, I've never, I've never been a big fan of, of insurance in general, um, which is why I don't bother signing up for medical. Cause like same idea, uh, for the most part. Uh, and I just, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how it's become such a big deal within like the libertarian community and, and, and thought process of how that's going to be like the solution to real world problems. Uh, once we throw off the yoke of the state, like, I just don't see it. I get it. You know that? Oh yeah, no, you just buy insurance. But at the same time, like then you know, um, it, they they already act like this, right? They're not they're, the business model doesn't incentivize them to act in a more customer service manner, right? Like that, it just it, well, it's ex- not set up. Except for that. if, except if if people start uh, saying that the company didn't honor their claim, then it's it's a bad reputation and. And then they won't get any new uh, 
new people signing up if, if they don't provide a good service. So. But that's almost better for them because then all the customers go to the competition and pay to the competition who then has to pay out all the claims. But if you're, if you're denying well, customers the, the because whole, the they're whole making claims. of insurance is, isn't, isn't that you're going to have a claim, it's that you might have a claim. So the only way insurance is, is profitable, you're, you're right, is if they don't pay. Yeah. But they're making a, calcula- a calculated uh, pri- price versus risk to, to uh, t- take a cut. So th- if the risk is very low, if there's only 1% chance of you getting hit by a hurricane, for example, and they charge you at the rate of a, of a 2%, then th- they're going to take that difference. Well, just you wait and see. After these hurricanes and after the fallout in Texas and Florida, uh, let's see how many articles pop up about claim denials well, uh, because hurricanes well, recovered, much, but floods well, let's weren't. Let's see how much money they collected and saved in the event of a you know a whole city getting wiped out. You know that's that's the weird thing to me is that they can uh, provide insurance, but if they don't have the funds to back it up. Then that's that's what I disagree with. You know that, you know, if if like if where did all have, the money go? Where did all the premiums yeah, go? Yeah, exactly. So you know these these insurance companies have huge buildings and they've got you know they hire a lot of people and they you know they make a lot of money and all that stuff and 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 maybe maybe they are legit. Maybe they are doing things efficiently. I, I don't really know. I don't I don't I don't work for them. So, um, but what what it See the thing is, like, let's say this house. If I get insurance on this house and it catches on fire and burns to the ground, um, they should have that money in reserve to say, okay, well, you need this 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 house repaired, so uh, we're gonna you know take it out of our bank account and build you a new house. And it seems to me that it you know, it's possible that they're not saving any of the money, and. If they need to build a house, they just raise rates on everybody else, and then they can build me a house. So I, I don't really know how, what model of reserves they're required to have, if they are if they are required to have any, but um, seems kind of dangerous uh, situation where you're providing insurance for you know everybody in the city, and it's possible the whole city gets wiped out. <laughs> Well, then hopefully they have, you know, some sort of Federal Reserve backing to cover all that, right? Hopefully the government will bail out the insurance companies who didn't plan enough yeah, ahead. I'm sure they will. We'll see. I'm telling you, there, there, there's going to be, like, stories that pop up about claim denials uh, because hurricanes oh, yeah. are covered, but floods aren't. And even if the hurricane caused a flood, the hurricane didn't hit you, but your house flooded anyway. Um, so sorry, not sorry, uh, but we can't pay that claim out because that's an act of God and that's not covered. Some BS like that. <laughs> All right, moving on. Sure. Do you want to stick with the weather or you want to do something else? Uh, something else. All right. Cleaning hats in Detroit still requires a license? Uh, obsolete rules mock the rule of law, warn experts. The high-end hat business isn't what it once was in Detroit. At his second inauguration in 1956, President Dwight Eisenhower wore a hat from Henry the Hatter, which left Detroit earlier this month after its landlords kicked the business out of its downtown Detroit location after 65 years. Even though hat wearing is no longer a popular fashion, the city still has an ordinance mandating businesses that, with, that wash hats get a license. The ordinance was written for a time when people would drop their expensive hats off at a business that only cleans hats, according to Kevin Jones, the manager of the city business license division. Those businesses no longer exist in Detroit. Uh, the city is considered, considering repealing its occupational licensing requirements for hat washing, and Jones said that city hasn't enforced the licensing mandate in at least 19 years. Uh, relaxing enforcement may be an alternative to taking an ordinance off the books, Jones said. It's quicker to leave something unregulated than to repass an ordinance. Uh, Jared Scorp wrote in his recent study on occupational licensure uh, for the Mackinac Center for Public Policy that, the, the, that leaving unenforced rules on the books is bad governance. It's good that the city isn't enforcing this ridiculous regulation, but the government shouldn't make a mockery of the rule of law by arbitrarily ignoring its own rules, Scorp said. 
Uh, he noted that before the city entered bankruptcy, Detroit shut down 900 businesses for regulatory violations, which were often minor. A better option would be to, uh, would be Detroit thoroughly reviewing the license and regulations it has on the books and repealing those not related to health or safety, Scorp said. Uh, when contacted by the Michigan Capital Confidential, many dry cleaning businesses in the city, including those which wash hats, had no idea Detroit mandated a license. Uh, Parakish Shah, who owns and operates City Laundry in northwest Detroit, is tired of dealing with occupational licensure mandates after 30 years in the dry cleaning business. Shah said he tried to follow all applicable city rules, but has at time felt harassed, saying he has been subse subjected to inconsistent enforcement throughout the years. Uh, Shaw wants to be left alone to run his business. The less they come into my place, the happier I get, Shaw said. I don't want to get any more licensing. I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, Jones said the city notifies businesses about its mandates by sending out investigators to survey businesses and then sending memos to those affected. Sometimes investigators visit, visit businesses for face-to-face -face visits. A hat washing licenses is just one of the approximately 60 occupational licenses the city government requires of people operating a business in Detroit. The city's mandates are imposed in addition to those created by state law. Uh, examples of other city-specific occupational licenses include those needing by uh, awning erectors, window washers, movers, auctioneers, sign erectors, landscape gardeners, and snowplow operators. Detroit requires a special license for all kinds of occupations that no other city does, Scorp said. These do nothing to contribute positively to the health and safety of citizens. It simply prevents people from working in a city desperate for jobs. Uh, some states have recently passed reform that prevents cities from instituting their own unique occupational regulations. Uh, earlier this year, Tennessee banned local governments from passing their own occupational licensing law. Wisconsin passed similar legislation in 2016. Some Michigan legislatures are interested in this type of legislation. According to Representative Brant Iden of Kalamazoo, Republican, a package of bills addressing licensure issues could be introduced in the Michigan House as soon as this fall. Iden chairs the House Committee of Regulatory Reform. We want to make it as easy as possible to get into careers as quickly as possible, he said. What I would certainly oppose is a local municipality unnecessarily making it more difficult to get into those industries. Uh, end of the article. Your thoughts, MC, about the city, state, or federal government, for that matter, uh, interfering with private transactions and people doing business with each other? Hmm. I, I don't think you need my thoughts on that. It's just stupid. <laughs> Well, that's true about just about everything we talk about, right? Like, you know, yeah. That we that we got this one. I mean, if we get into it, you know, the the eye doctor, the eye doctor uh, rule, um, you know, basically preventing new companies from from entering the market. Um, but it, it's it's funny to me, right? Like the 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 statement they got from the 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 representative there, right? Is basically like cities can't do these things. Leave it to the state, right? Like just just kicking it down the kicking it down the can kicking the can down the road uh, a little bit, right? And then the, and then if, if you're a federal government, you're like, well, the the states the states clearly can't handle this type of thing. Like just leave it to the federal government uh, to create all the rules and regulations for you. That like, we'll we'll make the one size fits all policy that fits everyone, right? And his basic his basic idea, right? Like you know, get don't let the city interfere. Um, with with uh, people trying to do business could easily be said right for the state right don't just wipe all the state regulations off the books um, that that, that 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 require occupational licensing or anything like that for people to to do business right just wipe all those up off the books as well like don't create one that prevents the cities from doing it just eliminate all the state ones uh, and then you know at the city level either you know have the city legislature uh, repeal all of those as well. And then all the way on up, right? Just let let people who want to do business conduct business. Um, there's a, a gentleman at my new job. Um, he's a you know a, a server waiter, whatever you want to call those people now. Um, and apparently he's like really good at giving massages, right? And you know so every once in a while uh, our head chef would be like, uh, can you rub kind of rub my, my shoulder sore shoulder sore cut cut chop chop sore. Um, so he'll get a quick massage, uh, from this dude. Um, and so I talked to him about, it. I'm like, is that, do you, do you like doing that? Like, is it, I, and apparently he, he had some, um, 
some prior experiences where he kind of got into it and likes uh, the physiology of, you know, body mechanics, I guess. I don't know. I forget the phrasing he used. Um, so he likes being able to, like, to, to massage those out and, and do that. So I asked him, like, why don't you do that, you know, professionally? Like, you know, he's like, well, I can't yet. I'm like, well, are, you, are you at least going to school for it? He's like, no, not really. Um, and basically his problem is that uh, he's not allowed to make any money doing it until he puts in like a certain amount of hours, um, you know, uh, in, in what is it, apprenticeship or whatever. Like he's got to go through that process. And I was like, oh, dude, that's bullshit, man. Because like I've already been paid for my massages and I'm probably not nearly as good as you. Like, you know, if, if you're, if, you know, the, the discerning line for me between like, you know, an amateur and a professional uh, is someone, you know, is an amateur does it for fun and a professional gets paid. Um, and so I always tell people like, I'm a professional masseuse. I've been paid to give massages. I am an unlicensed professional masseuse because I don't give a damn about going through that process. Uh, but at this point, knowing that I've been paid to give massages, I don't usually give them out willy nilly or for free anymore. Like, you know, uh, there's, there's a fee and I will undercut the license places <laughs> by a substantial margin because I honestly don't think I'm that good. Um, but I'm worth what I charge, uh, and and I just don't care to, to go through the the you know licensing process or the training process or anything like that. I just give it, and you give me money, and that's the end of the story. Um, but he, you know, on the other hand, is, is stuck in a field that would not necessarily be his chosen field, you know, in my understanding, um, because of of government red tape and bureaucracy getting in the way of him moving on with his career and doing something that's uh, more in line with what he, he values uh, in life. Um, your thoughts on that, MC? Uh, no, no thoughts. Do you do anything professionally uh, that would require a license if you talk to the state? We all know. We all know about your recent. <laughs> we all know about your recent license endeavors. Uh, besides that, though, which once was that? Oh, di- di- didn't you go out and get your uh, your grow card? Oh yeah, yeah. My, li- my license to smoke something. All right. Yeah. Yes. Was I, I was forget it? about it because it, it, it's not that big a deal, but. <laughs> Well, it doesn't it's it's doesn't have to be that big of a deal, but depending on where you're at, right, it could be a big deal. Yeah. Is it is it is it just a is it a medical use license, or did you or is it is yeah, the grow part medical. included in that? Well, right. The only way you can you can get it is if you can grow it. So you you can. They changed the law now, so now now I can have up to ten plants, and so I can grow ten plants and. Uh, For personal use, yeah. but you're not allowed to sell it. For personal use. Yeah. Okay. Well, I could se- I could sell it to somebody else that has a, a medical card. Okay. So prior to getting that medical card, right? You know, or or there are people without the medical card, right? That grow and sell, um, willy nilly, and that little piece of state plastic is the only thing preventing you uh, from going to the same prison that they would go to if either of you got caught, right? Like there's 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 Which, nothing necessarily separating uh, quality quantity or or you know business practice between you and someone unlicensed aside from the fact that you you know for for your own protection and I don't fault you for it but we talk about it here um, decided to go out and get the permission slip. Yeah, and and at at the moment, if I had to do it over again, I I might not have, but well, actually, I st- I still would because I don't grow at my house; I grow at my friend's house. So. Um, <laughs> So I, I would I, w- I would still have to do it, but I mean, if I was doing it completely on my own, I, I wouldn't get the license. But that that's purely because I'm I'm really not worried about going to jail at this point in time. So, um, you know, if I have to go, I have to go. And uh, because you don't fear it, or because you don't think you would have gotten I, caught. Because I, I don't. Well, for one, I don't fear getting caught, and two, I I don't fear going to jail at this point in time. So, okay. You know, Maybe if I had had to visit prison, I'd, I'd change my mind. But um, at at the moment, uh, it's I, it's not something that worries me. So, um, isn't that a great place yeah, to be? So, um, I mean, it, mentally, the, the like in in your head. 
the whole threat is is very disconcerting you know like i i i really i i would be a lot happier if i wasn't threatened you know yeah um, and for only 9.95 and a little piece of plastic we won't threaten you anymore right it was, it was a, i think it was closer to a couple hundred bucks for the okay. for the doctor visit though so. <laughs> you, you get my point though it's, right it's not like, not exactly cheap, but <laughs> what I, I I throw that I throw that month that the 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 dollar amount out there not because I know what it is but just you know just just to to just to iterate the point that you know if if you pay them their fee right they'll stop threatening you right the 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 looming threat over your head of going to jail for growing uh, or for washing hats or for you know erecting awnings. Right, Th- that looming threat. If you decide to do it without the permission slip, goes away for a nominal monetary fee to the state. Right? Just no, no, no. You give us some money, and we'll just we'll you can you can do it, and we'll stop the other guy. Right? I mean that that's that's the operation. That's the scam. That's the real. That's the real right there. All right. Any final thoughts? Ready to wrap this up? No, I'm ready. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, facebook.com slash anarchistexperience. Uh, if you want to get in on the discussion and post in the groups uh, something you want us to read for show prep, go ahead and post that in the groups on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash anarchistexperience. Oh, and one other thing, like while I'm getting to this part, uh, we, we get our donations through Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Um, but I, I recently found out that the alt-right site, Patreon, Right. Um, was uh, was created in reaction to uh, like fa- fair use and free speech issues by the one and only uh, Cody Wilson, the, the ghost gunner guy, uh, you know, who is not allowed, who's currently not allowed to publish his plans for um, homemade 3D printed weaponry on the Internet. Right. Like in, uh, apparently in response to a lot of these sites getting thrown off of Patreon and getting there, getting kicked off the Internet. Uh, Cody Wilson is the guy behind Patreon, uh, and not even that he's an alt-right guy, but just that he recognizes the bigger issue and has set up uh, this platform uh, for those guys to to get their donations from their peeps as well. Uh, so good looking out, Cody. Uh, uh, we're not on Patreon yet because we don't need to be yet, uh, but when we do, I'll be glad it's there. Uh, but like I said, patreon.com slash experience. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace. <laughs>